It's Wednesday, August 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Rule Breakers, Simon Erickson, and the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Jason Moser. Gentlemen, how's it going? Yes, sir. It's hey there, Mark. Good. How are you? Simon, you can earn an introduction like that someday. One day, I, Mark. I, you know, I mean, I, I guess I've been here for four and a half years. How long have you been here, Simon? Ancient. year and a half. year and, and a half. That was so it's just, it's, just time, it's a time thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's an impressive thing. introduction. Mm-hmm. He's got time. Uh, earnings season rolls on, so we've got to l- a lot to chat about there including Amazon's newest ploy. But we begin with the big mover from yesterday, which had to be Kate Spade. Now, if you look at the company's chart from yesterday, I got a chuckle out of this. It surged like 10% pre-market. It was looking really good heading into the day. And then the earnings call began. And I don't know what management had to say that just pissed so many investors off. They, they ran for the hills as fast as they could. Guys, what happened with Kate Spade? That, that, was, that was one of the most... Uh, eye-catching, uh, you know, changes <laughs> in in the course of an investing day that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, the stock I mean, it immediately just fell off a cliff, and I mean, it's it's the M word, right? It's margins, it's, mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing with uh, companies like Coach. You're mm-hmm. seeing Michael Kors and and now Kate Spade. None of these companies, uh, you know, are, are immune to to this to this. Problem, and I mean, I think that just goes to show really what you know, the difficulties in investing in retail. And when you're talking about fashion retail, uh, it, it's just you you eventually hit a point where you you become so successful, your brand gets out there, and and now it's so popular that it starts to lose popularity. People mm-hmm. people start thinking, well, everybody's got it now, I don't want it. And uh, and, and I'm not sure we're actually to, to that point with with you know Kate Spade. Don't get me wrong, but but I I do think that you know they're they're acknowledging that you know we're in a retail environment where I mean customers are just they're they're looking for deals, right? And and you know we we've seen this play out for Coach over the past couple of years. Really, it's it's been brutal. Um, you know, Coach investors have have you know had had a had a rough go of it. Uh, the nice thing is that you know Coach has had this strategy where they're they're trying to become a, a lifestyle brand, and there, there's hopefully a light at the end of the tunnel. I think we're starting to see this play out a little bit with Michael Kors. We definitely saw it this past quarter. I mean, they they uh, referred to their their retail segment as uh, facing some headwinds. They had to start cutting prices, mm-hmm. and they're seeing margins uh, getting squeezed in in that uh, part of the business. And so, with with Kate Spade, I think you're seeing the same thing. They're kind of trying to get out in front of it a little bit. Uh, but but when you have these retailers that are are trading for uh, you know some some relatively lofty multiples in a pretty in a pretty heady market, I mean, it, it doesn't take much to to Get uh, to get investors, you know, jump and jump and ship, and that's what happened yesterday. Absolutely. And now, Simon, I really wanted you in the studio for this discussion because you and I were talking about cores a little while ago when we were covering their earnings, and we started a discussion about Kate Spade, which led to you actually going around the office and taking a survey of some of the more fashionable ladies at the Fool, asking them what was the, what was the exact question. Uh, well, Mark, we did it. We did a survey of if you were to get three hundred dollars for a handbag, would you purchase a Michael Kors bag? Would you purchase a Kate Spade bag? Or would you purchase a Coach bag? And what was the result? Uh, oh, oh, not overwhelmingly, but the winner actually was Kate Spade. Okay, so seemingly Kate Spade's still in fashion, 
is it really just all margins or is is there is there a fashion issue as well cuz like jason said this handbag market it just it it twists and turns so suddenly i mean what can what can kate spade do to stay popular right so so maybe we're not the most fashion forward here at the motley <laughs> How fool dare you, sir. <laughs> you know, small, small my white undershirt here. is from hanes uh, <laughs> michael jordan wears that brand i'll have you know but you know in in the handbag wars that is a brutal battle all the way you know just like jason said it's all about margins and you've got to play this this game between price and uh, and volume, hmm. and you know, we you see that when stuff's not selling, it goes to inventory. The price goes down. Kate Spade sell the same thing through their Saturday brand, uh, lower price points, and then on top of that, the company's not really making a whole lot of money because they're spending so much of it on on marketing on SGNA. So I, I think this is a tough spot to be in. Um, you know, you've seen Coors and Kate Spade grabbing a lot of market share in the U.S. But then markets, uh, I'm sorry, then margins are decreasing too. So I, I think it's a tough balance right hmm. now to be. See, in. I think that's why you have to really, actually, be at least somewhat, you know, optimistic about Coach's strategy becoming a lifestyle brand. So I mean, like, think about something like like Ralph Lauren. I mean, you know, they, they've that, that's a company that is is beyond handbags, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're levered to just handbags, I mean, at some point or another. You you do lose that sway, and, and, and there's something to take your place. So it, it you know I mean, yeah I mean I think that you know, investors and coach kind of feel like maybe they got a little bit shafted here, and that uh, you know the the company has changed its strategy so to speak. But but I think that longer term it's the strategy that makes more sense because it opens it opens itself up to a much broader consumer base. Uh, now now time will tell whether that that brand actually resonates with. With uh, you know, consumers in general as, as a lifestyle brand. I mean, I I, I like its chances, uh, but but I think that's a risk that you have to recognize with companies like Michael Kors and Kate Spade going forward. Uh, and you know, I mean, I, I I've 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 given Michael Kors the thumbs down and caps here uh, um, over over the past month because I think that we're just gonna this is something that is gonna start playing out on this company. And when you look at at their valuation compared to something like Coach, the disparity is is tremendous. I mean, the expectations for Michael Kors are really optimistic right now. Mm. At some point, they are going to become a victim of their own success. They're gonna have to figure out some new levers to pull. My bet is that Kate Spade will probably, uh, you know, follow that path as well. So I just I, I think that investors, you need to be aware of that when you're investing in these retail stocks. The time to jump on these retailers is not when everybody's you know, so optimistic and the stock prices are, are going through the through the roof. You know, I mean, the, the time to jump on them is is when you know it, it looks like the world's coming to an end. You just have to you know be able to kind of reconcile. The, the actual fundamentals of the business and see if they actually do have a future. Absolutely. All right, speaking of the future, let's talk solar power with Solar City, which just had a pretty decent second quarter. Uh, you look at one of the big numbers that I saw, 30,000 customers in Q2 compared to 8,600 last second quarter. But Simon, their goal is a million customers by 2018. At this rate, do you think that they can reach that goal? Uh, yes, actually, I absolutely do think they are, Mark. And you know, so City, I want to I want to talk about this today because this is kind of a consumer company, mm. or consumer goods company, if you want to call it that. That doesn't look like one on the surface, but we just saw a, a ton of new solar panels going on uh, for houses. The, the, the model for Solar City, by the way, is they they front the money to put the panels on a rooftop and then they sell the power back to customers over a period of twenty years mm. in the operating lease model. So right that's, now, sorry, that's an unusual model for it this is. as well. Because I, I don't know too much about this. That's that's no one's doing that, are they? Yeah, and it, and and really nobody has. Hmm. You know, and Elon Musk kind of brought this when he was looking for financing uh, to, to talk about this. But it, it's a great value proposition if you're a homeowner because you don't have to put anything up front. 
you're getting electric rates that are 10 to 15 percent lower than utility right now. Mm. And you get to go green, too, which, you know, everybody kind of feels good about that at the end of the day. But, you know, the interesting thing to me, as you said, they added about 30,000 customers and now 140,000 customers, about 141,000. They're looking to get to a million by um, by 2018. But they're also taking some vertical integration steps to keep up with this. They've streamlined their overall process. They're not getting it less than three months. And uh, they've also uh, acquired a manufacturing capability company called Salevo, uh, which is going to allow them a, a one gigawatt per year of capacity. But changing gears aside, and what my, my, my main point of this story that I'm looking at is they deployed 107 megawatts during the quarter. That's double what they did last year. And they booked three times as many megawatts in, in the backlog now as they did last year, too. So I think that this this demand for solar is for real. I think that we're starting to see it, you know, um, take shape in a way that solar city is even having a, a tough time keeping up with the demand. Hmm. And I, I kind of like their chances of, of hitting their ambitious growth targets in the future. 1.21 gigawatts. That's <laughs> literally the only thing I know about gigawatts. Well, thank you. Uh, this, this is, uh, this is so out of my realm of knowledge. Uh, so, so their goals in your mind are achievable. Are you ever going to go green? Uh, yes, I'm a big fan, actually. Before I came to The Motley Fool, I was an alternative energy analyst uh, that, really? that pushed a lot of, of solar and wind power and uh, different kind of electricity generation. So I'm, I'm a big fan in the space. Okay. There are a lot of great options out there. I mean, like our, our house here in Fairfax, we had, uh, we had this, there's a company called SolarTube, which is basically kind of like skylights, but, but they use, uh, it's, it's just kind of a cylindrical thing that you can, you know, it goes through the roof into whatever room you want. It's basically just natural lighting. Hmm. Um, and, and they, you know, they have attic fans that are, you know, they install attic fans that are, that are solar powered. I mean, there, there are a lot of options, I think, that are coming online uh, out, out there. It, it's becoming more and more uh, an attractive space, certainly for consumers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, I agree with Simon. I think Solar City is, is, a, really, is a really neat way for investors to, to look at the space. I, you, you never, ever, ever, never, ever bet against Elon Musk in anything he's involved <laughs> with, ever. <laughs> uh, the future is now. All right, let's take a look at the past with Macy's, which just reported its quarter. Uh, it's down a bit today. Sales weren't that bad, just not good enough to offset the last quarter. Jason, we chatted about Macy's earlier, and the overall theme that I got from you is if Macy's does Macy's have a place in the new world order of mobile and e-commerce. It's so old school. It does. I mean, you're right. It is old school. It's kind of playing into that longer term trend of just uh, falling mall traffic. And I think that's that's the biggest challenge that faces really any any of these these physical retailers is that you know the the big mall anchors of the 1980s are just are just becoming more more and more obsolete every year. I mean, I guess probably, you know, maybe one one strategy could be to partner up with Chipotle and stick a Chipotle inside every Macy's. That would definitely boost Ooh, traffic, I'm sure. I'm uh, you know, I have a Chipotle on one side and a Starbucks on the other and there you go. But Brilliant. I mean, yeah, I think you have I mean, Macy's is at least addressing that. You know, they are they continue to invest in their in their e-commerce platform. Uh, you know, if you look at the number of stores that they have, they've basically flatlined as far as opening stores because they recognize the fact that the bricks and mortar, you know, they don't need to open more of those. But what they are doing is they're using, uh, you know, those stores that they have as as shipping centers. So, I mean, if you order something from Macy's online, they'll, they'll you know, utilize the stores that they have as, as distribution centers. Uh, you're seeing other other retailers out there doing the same thing, like Dick's Sporting Goods, for example. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's not to say that it's only going to be e-commerce and Amazon.com is going to win the whole the whole game. Uh, 
I mean, there there is a place for for these bricks and mortar retailers. It's just they have to, you know, they've got to up their game. They've got to play into this this trend of e-commerce and you know utilize the assets that they have in place. And and so Macy's is doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I mean, yeah, I I don't. I mean, mall traffic I think is is not something that is going to uh, long term get better. I mean, I think people are, are finding better things to do with their time. And uh, and you know so so Macy's is going to have to continue to address that. Uh, so I mean, if I'm looking at, at something like a retailer, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not looking towards these bricks and mortars, uh, you know, first thing. Absolutely. Now, one of the few areas that bricks and mortars still have a bit of an advantage is the back to school season, which yeah. is just starting up. The kids <laughs> like to try stuff on before uh, they wear it to school. The parents like to take the kids and buy all the goodies. Yes, I'm just getting that underway, Mark. Thanks oh, yeah? for reminding me. Oh, how much fun is that? Oh, that's what we've got this weekend and next weekend and the, the weekend, weekend after. after. Yep, it's just yep. uh, the smell of fresh and, and let me tell you, I mean, as a father, I mean, my, my ability to pick out clothes for nine and eight-year-old girls is is utterly horrible. Well, it's, I, it's awful. Speaking it's really to bad. to your current wardrobe, it's not much better for a middle-aged man. Uh-oh. Hot burn, Whoa. hot burn coming through. Sorry I mean, about you that. know, it's, that's polo. polo. Yeah, you know, it's, it's nice. Yeah, this, by the way, is a gift from my my daughter, so they obviously have some taste. They know what's up. Uh, so <laughs> the question within these weird comments: uh, next quarter, Macy's, it's got the the back to school season. Does it recover at all, or is it gonna is is is, is Macy's game? decades out from now before we see it becoming the retailer it once was or some new form of Macy's is there a turnaround really anywhere on the near horizon I I mean I don't I don't see I mean you know quarter in and quarter out you're going to deal with whether it's back to school or mm-hmm. weather or whatever you're going to have sort of pros and cons with any quarter I mean the holiday seasons uh, you know, so for me, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, the longer term trend when I look at retailers, I mean, I, the biggest long term trend is is e-commerce when it comes to retail. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the thing to focus on with with Macy's is just to, to you know, every every quarter focus on what they're doing as far as their e-commerce platform or how are those e-commerce sales going? How is that boosting their margin picture? Because really, in all honesty, those direct-to-consumer sales, we're seeing Nike and Under Armour, for example, really own that space. They're doing a wonderful job. And I and I think that Dick's Sporting Goods is, is going to, you know, suffer from that a little bit because you know they, people, you know consumers are finding different ways to get their stuff now they can just go to, to Under Armour and Nike directly um, and, and I think that Macy's uh, very well may feel feel a bit of that pain as well so again I mean I, I don't know that when I look at the longer term trend I'm all that that optimistic or bullish on Macy's as a stock I'd probably just avoid it altogether that's the spirit all right <laughs> let's wrap up with some e-commerce and you can't talk e-commerce without Amazon which is in the news today Man, Amazon, they their new business strategy <laughs> is just screw everybody else. <laughs> it, it, for you see it with Hachette or Hatchet, however you say it, the, the publishers and they're they're undercutting them with ebook sales. Now you're seeing it with Disney. They're going up against Disney, the house of mouse, just because they can. And now Amazon has unveiled the local register, which for those of you who haven't heard, it's a free app and a ten dollar card reader, much like Square. Except, unlike Square, which gets a 2.75% per swiped transaction, Amazon's only going to charge merchants 1.75% as long as they sign up before October 31st, and then that rate will last until 2016, and then go back to 2.5%, still underneath Square. Wow! Amazon is just so willing to undercut everybody in 
every business. Uh, you said it earlier, Jason, never bet against Elon Musk. I am never betting against Amazon. What's your take, first and foremost, on today's news with the local register? Uh, it's it's it seems like every day it's something else with Amazon. They're they're they just Jeff Bezos is another CEO that I I would never ever bet against. I mean I I own Amazon shares. I would be also very very upfront in saying that if Jeff Bezos was not the CEO of this company, I probably wouldn't <laughs> be an investor in Amazon. I mean really, uh, I, I mean I, I think he is crucial to the success of this business. I feel like you know I've got this Diet Coke and it's share a Diet Coke with a go getter. I feel like this is very wow. apropos for today because Look Jeff Bezos is such a go getter, right? He goes out and just does whatever he wants, and that's you know Simon and I were talking about that earlier. It's the question you have to ask yourself if you're a business out there today. No matter what you do, mm-hmm. how do you address the Amazon risk? Because you have to assume it's going to be there at some point, right? True. Yeah, and, and like Jason said before the show, we were talking about the original name for Amazon was actually <laughs> Relentless.com. True story. Yeah. And you know this this has just got to be so frustrating if you're a business and you see Amazon come and compete against you because you know it's just a continually race to the bottom. Amazon can support that because they've got this huge platform and they've got money coming in from all different places, but. This is really tough if you're a company like Square to go against somebody like this. You know, Amazon's done it in, in retail and they did it in web services. You know, now they're moving it out to a uh, you know a payment platform like this. It's got to be tough if you're the smaller guy competing against them. Now, is that Simon? Is that the reason Amazon is doing? It? Is it literally just yeah, we can do this, so let's try to take over this market? Or is there a bigger game involved here? Amazon, obviously, an e-commerce giant. It kind of makes sense that they'd have some sort of payment platform. Is that the reason? Is that the tie-in? No, it, it, you know, it, one part maybe maybe Amazon's got something at Square. I don't know about that part. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the bigger thing is, you know, there's 15 trillion dollars a year of retail transactions that happens, and and a lot of people are trying to grab a piece of this pie as it goes continually more and more online. I think Amazon's very very smartly uh, doing what it can to get a piece of that as well. Yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, like you just, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, as as a Father of two, two dogs in the house. I mean, we got a lot going on in our house, month in, month out. I mean, hmm. and so it, Amazon is becoming more and more incorporated into our family's business model as time goes on. I mean, I you subscribe to toilet paper and paper towels and dog food and all that stuff, so that it just magically appears on my doorstep one day. I just that's go home and dream. I'm like, hey, that's just wonderful, <laughs> right? But it it gets paid for, right? I have my American Express card on file there, and it just, it just the transaction rings up. I mean, they have to look at that and say, well, if we've got you know 250 million people who are using our platform uh, and buying stuff, well, shoot, man, let's let's figure out a way to to get a little bit of that of that uh, scrape from the payments, right? It's not a, it's not a winner take all. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of different options out there. So I mean, if, even if it's just an incremental, uh, you know, boost to the top line, there's really high margin dollars that right. that can certainly. Uh, you know, play into to the bottom line eventually for the company. So right, and to your points earlier, Amazon was originally known as Relentless. If you go to relentless.com, if you type this in to your browser, it'll redirect you to Amazon. Clearly, it's still part of the company's uh, way of life. Clearly, Jeff Bezos still thinks that way. So then, let's speculate wildly. What's next for Amazon? What's the next crazy thing for Amazon? We've got the payment system. We've got the Amazon Fire Phone. We've got dongles. We've got Prime. We've got one-day shipping. We've got two-day shipping. We've got dongles. Yes, of course. Uh, Where to next for Amazon? Let's just hope it's not investing advice. Uh, <laughs> if it's uh, investing advice, I think uh, you know. I think I think we probably I think we probably got them on that one. You know, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't I feel too that. terribly uh, too terribly threatened by that. I don't know, Simon. What do you think? Transportation. I'm going Transportation. with the drones as the first step, and you know, maybe it's a self-driving Amazon car next. Maybe wow. it's Amazon bus. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but they've got. <laughs> 
too much I mean, information. Yeah, I, I think it's something relating to that last mile of shipping. I mean, whether mm. you know whether they go in and just sort of disrupt the UPS FedEx model. Um, you know, they're obviously utilizing that infrastructure that the U.S. Postal System has in place today. Uh, so I think whatever it is, I, th- I think that's the next big thing that comes from them. The future is now. All right, Simon Erickson, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan F***ing Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.